John chapter 18, verses, uh, we'll start with verses one through three, and it says this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Okay, so uh, the Kidron Valley here, it's located uh, east of Jerusalem. So he's walking outside of the city walls now, um, and uh, it's, it's just east of the city wall and uh, just west of uh, the slope of the Mount of Olives there. And, and this garden is uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, John doesn't uh, name it, but we have through the other gospel accounts in Matthew and Mark, they label it as the Garden of Gethsemane, a name that literally means oil press, suggesting that it was an olive orchard. Jesus often went to this garden. Uh, in fact, as we just uh, read um, how, how Ju Judas knew this place, because why Jesus often met there with his disciples. And in Luke twenty two thirty nine, 39, uh, it says uh, in, in Luke's account that he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. So this is an established rhythm for Jesus that he would go uh, with his disciples, that he would go to, to, to spend time alone, to, to meditate, to pray um, and, and to teach. And, and so this was a special time uh, that Jesus consistently uh, took and not only is it for him to engage with God because why the, the city is absolutely jam-packed full. It's Passover time. So there's people from all over the known world there to celebrate. And Jesus is getting out of the city to get this alone time. But he also knows this. He knows that that's where Judas is gonna go to arrest him. He already knew that, but he still went. The other gospels uh, address what happened as they entered the garden uh, in a more thorough way. So let's, let's look at that. In Matthew 26, I'm gonna read to you um, 36 through 46 as it talks about uh, them entering the garden. And it says this, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. 
Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now, Let's keep in mind for a second as they go into this space and, 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 he, and he tells uh, the rest of them to, to, hey, you guys stay right here. And then he takes Peter, James, and John with him uh, more into the garden, sets them aside. And he's like, hey, this is important. This is huge. As he had shared earlier, what? The time has come, right? He had been sharing throughout his ministry. The time will come, but now the time has come. And he's in there and he's wearing this emotion. It's an intense time. Uh, They should be prepared. Uh, And in fact, they had even that night said, listen, we are with you to the death. We will never turn our backs on you. Um, and, and, And Peter, I will never turn my back on you like them. Like they've they've literally pledged this undying devotion uh, to Jesus. And what happens? The very first test. And what's the very first test? Just stay awake. Like that's a softball. You're like, they didn't, not if they had chairs like these. But literally, like just stay awake. Okay, uh, this is what's happening. The time has arrived and, 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 the, and this is important. This is critical. I've warned you. I've warned you. <laughs> That's me talking now, yeah. Three times they fall asleep. The hour's at hand. He even wakes them up. Peter, you need to get up, man. Temptation is here. It's time. You need to pray. Your spirit's wounded. Your flesh is weak. Get up. Now, before we judge them, let's examine ourselves, right? How many times in Scripture, if you read this, are you reminded to be alert? to live with a sense of urgency, to know that he could return at any time, to be prepared knowing that he could come at any point in time. Uh, to, to how, how many times are we reminded to, to seek God earnestly, to seek him desperately over and over again? And yet why in the world knowing this, reading this, hearing that message, are we so often unprepared, not ready when the temptation or the opposition arrives in our life. Why? And we've not only had the same warning that they've had, but, but also uh, we, we've been given the advantage of, of having them as examples. Like, like literally, In your house, on your phone, you have God's word and it's full of examples of people that weren't able to follow through. And and, and it's like, here you go, learn from them. Learn from them. So not only have we been warned, but we also get to read about this and see where they failed and go, hey, I should probably take this seriously. And yet, for whatever reason, we don't. And what happens? We're the same way. All of a sudden, we're caught. We're asleep spiritually. Opposition arrives. The moment is here. And what happens? 
We're caught off guard. We're not ready. And Judas shows up with this band of Roman soldiers, which was a tenth of a legion. In other words, there was around 600 Roman soldiers for Jesus. Talk about overkill. And the temple police is there as well to arrest Jesus. And so back in John chapter 18, let's look at what happens in verse four. It says, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas who betrayed him was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Now we read uh, in Matthew's account that as Jesus came out to meet them, we actually uh, read in Matthew 26, 48 and 49, uh, we see um, how, how he's greeted. It says, now the betrayer had given them a sign, the betrayer's Judas, had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi, and he kissed him. This is one of the single greatest acts of hypocrisy you will read in scripture. This sign of devotion, this sign of affection that, that, that families would greet each other with, uh, that, that disciples of, of rabbis, they would greet their rabbi with this. It, it was a sign of devotion, a sign of obedience. And here Judas is pretending like he's that with Jesus. And he walks right up to him like nothing's wrong, like everything's great between them. And he kisses them, this embrace, and he is literally betraying him in that moment. I was thinking about that. And I was like, man, how many times do we just, we pretend? How many times do we pretend that we know Jesus? How many times do we pretend that we love Jesus? And in those moments, who are we actually reflecting? Man, we're reflecting Judas, aren't we? But Jesus asked them, whom do you seek? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth, and then he says, hey, I, that's me, I am he. And the word he that he uses is a word that he has been using in the book of John, and it's not in the original Greek. Uh, it, it, it's, it's the word uh, literally that is used in Exodus 3.14 when God tells Moses, I am. And so Jesus, as he says, I am he, it's not, hey, I'm not this guy, I am he. And they know. And, and, and I love how John includes the fact uh, that, that Judas is, is with those that are there to arrest him. Judas is standing with them. Did you catch that? Uh, he wants us to know that what happens next, it happened to Judas as well. So what happened next? Well, um, <laughs> we see immediately after Jesus said to them, I am he, what happens? They literally draw back and they fall to the ground. Now, you would talk about a moment. There you go. I am he, and, and, and this isn't like rent-a-cops. This is like 600 Roman soldiers that are there, 
and, and, and the temple police, and they're all there. Uh, these are trained fighters. They're not like, hey, you want to go and, and arrest this guy? Oh, yeah. No, they're there. And, and so this is, this is a huge scene to where they would be knocked back to the ground by what Jesus says. There is power in the word of God. All Jesus had to do was speak his name and they were absolutely helpless. So after this display of divine power, Jesus again asked them, whom do you seek? Now imagine their response as they're pulling themselves up off the ground, trying to figure out what just happened. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth, we think. Jesus reminds them again, I am he. And then said, if you seek me, let them go. If you seek me, let them go. Now, what I love about this is everything shifted, hasn't it? Since he just knocked them on their behinds, right? Now he's saying, if you want me, in other words, only if I choose, if you want me, you let them go. And, and what's he doing there? Well, this demand to let the 11 go, that was done, it says, to fulfill his words, words he had said in his prayer to the, to the Father, right? Uh, in verse nine, of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one, right? So he's protecting them spiritually. He's protecting them physically, even in this moment. He's fulfilling his calling. And then in verses 10 and 11, it says, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? Now, Luke kind of brings us into this a little, uh, a little more clearly because they're, they're all sensing what's about to happen. Jesus has just knocked them to the ground. They stand up and they reaffirm, we're here to arrest you. And, and so the disciples are there and they look at Jesus. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 49, we, we see this. It says, and when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Okay, they're feeling, they're feeling bold and brave now, aren't they? They just saw what happened. They're like, Jesus, do you want us to strike with the sword now? Now, without waiting for Jesus' reply, Peter, God bless Peter, right? Of course. Jesus, hold on to that. I know what you want. Peter, who's also feeling very bold, right? He's watched what's happened. He impulsively charges to Jesus's defense with his sword drawn. He wasn't gonna allow Jesus to be arrested. So he attacked. And his first target was the high priest servant, a guy named Malchus. And somehow, some way, he missed him completely, but cut off his ear. I have no idea how he did that. But his reckless response threatened to start a battle that could have ultimately ended in their imprisonment or their death, the very thing Jesus was trying to prevent here. 
And so Jesus moves in immediately to diffuse the situation. It says, Peter put that away. And in, and in Luke twenty two fifty one 51, it says, but Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. And then he turned to Peter in Matthew 26, 52, and he says this to Peter. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Guys, you know what? In that moment, what was happening is Peter was looking exactly like the mob that was trying to arrest Jesus. He, he's, he's taking up his sword just like they have, and he's like, all right, let's fight. And Jesus is like, no, that, that's not what we're about. You, I know how that story ends, but that's not my story. And what does he do? He literally uh, heals uh, Malchus's ear. He like, I don't know if he picked it up or what, but he healed it, okay? And, 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 and so what is he establishing? Establishing something different, right? Because if there's anybody who we would say doesn't deserve to be healed, who is it? Malchus, right? You are there to arrest Jesus. You're there uh, to ultimately kill Jesus. And, and so you and I, we're sitting here rooting for Peter to have better marksmanship with his sword. We're like, way to go. You missed. You know, we're not sitting here going, oh, Malchus, right? We're like, let's join the fight. And Jesus says, no, I know how this ends. That's, the, that's how it's gonna end for you. Do, this is not what we're about. And so he, he goes totally countercultural on them, demonstrating his kind of love, his kind of grace. And he, and, he, and he heals the guy that we say for sure shouldn't have healed him. In fact, I wish it would have just, I wish, I wish Peter would have been more accurate. Peter was responding like them. And you guys, Jesus didn't need to be defended. See, part of this comes back to um, Peter misunderstanding what Jesus had said uh, earlier, because in Luke 22 and 35 through 38, Jesus is warning his disciples. He's leaving, and he says, listen, you're going to be looked at differently. People are going to attack you. They're going to be after you um, uh, on account of me, but I'm not going to be there physically. And, and he actually tells them, hey, you, you should have um, a couple swords. You should, you should be prepared for all of this. Now, he wasn't saying, hey, you should be prepared to go to battle. That's not at all what he was talking about. And, and, and yet in this moment, I'm sure Peter, because he thinks things through so, so well, went, well, I know where some swords are. This is why. Here they are. And so he grabs the sword and attacks. You guys, Peter's act here was rebellion against the will of God. See, he should have known that Jesus would be arrested and that he would willingly surrender. He should have known that. In fact, Matthew 16, 21, uh, it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So he's been telling them, he's been trying to prepare them for this moment. But, but what we see here is Peter was not only resisting the will of God in this moment, but he was also hindering the work that Jesus wanted to accomplish. Now, this is scary to me. 
Why is this scary to me? This is scary to me because I believe most of us, when we read this, we agree with Peter's response, right? In fact, many of us, when I read that, we probably thought, man, I hope I would have been one to draw my sword. Man, I hope I would have, except that would have been a better aim. Way to go, Peter. Way to be the brave one. Way to attack, way to, way to defend uh, your, your, your savior, right? And, and, and so when I look at this, it's scary because I find in my heart, I'm more aligning to Peter. I'm finding myself uh, going, well, his heart's right, right? His desire and intentions to defend the savior. <laughs> like, yeah, those are good intentions. I, like, I'm gonna, like his, he's, he's thinking I'm gonna defend Jesus, He's thinking, you're not gonna arrest my savior. These are thoughts that, that we, we go, man, I, I want that. I wanna have that. I wanna respond in that way. And yet what we read here is that his response actually showed a lack of trust and faith. And not only that, it also got in the way of what Jesus was desiring to accomplish. Are we hearing that this morning? Are we hearing that? Because many of us are spiritually justifying reactions and responses that are actually a demonstration of a lack of faith and trust to the point of actually getting in the way of what God wants to accomplish. And we're just like, Peter, I'm defending you. And Jesus is like, no, you're, you're with them right now. You're actually fighting me. I don't like to hear that, but I need to hear that. And so we go, how did this happen? How does Peter find himself in this place? I want to know because I don't want to do that. And so how did he fail? Why did he fail? Well, for one, he argued with Jesus when Jesus warned him that he would deny him that very night. Okay, see, when, when Peter uh, heard what Jesus told him that he was going to do, remember Peter said, or Jesus said to Peter, listen, you're gonna deny me multiple times. And Peter just swore up and down, no way. I'm with you to the end. I would never do that. They may fall. They may fail. I will not. If it costs me my life, I am with you. See, what he heard from Jesus is something that he didn't want to hear, right? He didn't want to hear that. And because he didn't want to hear that, what did he do? He refused to accept it. He refused uh, to really listen to it. Because if he had, he would have been very aware and prepared for this moment. Because there's so many times the Bible has revealed things in my life and I've been unwilling to accept it or listen to it. There's been so many times where, where and, and man, scripture will do that. If you read this book, it's gonna call you out. It's gonna expose stuff. 
It talks about how it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it goes in there and it it reveals the thoughts and intentions of your heart. And I don't know about your heart, but mine, especially the last two years, woo, is bad. And all of a sudden it's revealing it. It's showing it to me. And too often I, 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 I hear that from God and I'm like, yeah, no, no. But look at this first. Look at this first, God. Let's go back to this one. But God, let's talk about what I am doing well. Let's talk about my sacrifice for you, God. Let's, let's, let's not go there. Let's pretend that revealing didn't even happen. Let's, pre- let's pretend what, what, what scripture just said doesn't, to- doesn't at all relate to exactly what I'm going through or how I'm treating people or what I'm thinking uh, or the area of my life that's lacking. God, I no, let's talk about the other stuff, right? And so what happens is not only are we unable uh, to, uh, to listen because we're refusing to accept what it's, what it's speaking to us about because we don't wanna hear that. We don't wanna see that in ourselves, but here's what's really dangerous. We actually start, to spiritually justify the position we have. Now, how does that happen? Well, it starts with me not listening. It starts with with, with me going, I don't like that. I don't want to receive it, so I'm not. And then what do I do? When I'm not going to receive something, I'm going to pick something else that I want to receive, that I like that aligns with my desire or my will. And so what we start to do when we, when we start to not listen, start to not receive what we don't like from scripture is we start to pick and choose which commands are actually important for me. And, 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 and here's the reality of that when that happens, okay? Not only does the world see that dysfunction in you, as you share your faith, to where they don't, they don't even understand. How can you say this, but you do that? How, could, how can you say, how can you condemn me for doing this when you're over here? And I know, I may not believe in God, but I know the Bible talks about this, and yet you're okay doing it. So how does that work? And then as Kyle talked about unity last week, as I was sitting in our super comfy chairs, he's talking about unity in the church. And I started thinking about this. And I started thinking about not only does, do people that not want anything to do with God see this in us, but we're seeing this in each other, aren't we? And we're talking about each other. Well, so-and-so does this, but man, they're doing that. Well, so-and-so told me this, but I know they're doing this. And we're, and, we're, and we're seeing this in each other, aren't we? And guys, we all struggle with this. Why? Because nobody wants to hear something that's negative about themselves. Nobody wants to hear you're wrong. Nobody wants to hear this needs to be changed in your life, right? We're not looking for that with scripture. We're opening this going, encourage me, God. Inspire me, God. Reaffirm your love for me, God, right? And he says, well, you keep that prayer alive because I'm actually gonna do that through revealing things in your life but you're gonna have a choice. Are you gonna listen and respond? Or are you gonna say, I don't like that, I do like that, and your life is gonna be very conflicting, contradictory, and ultimately you're gonna be justifying things just like Peter, that you're gonna say this is for God and God's gonna say this is actually against me. What else? Peter also slept when he should have been praying. Peter also slept when he should have been praying. 
Jesus, Jesus even was gracious. Like, like Jesus came and said, hey, wake up. You need to understand the urgency of this moment. And as he looks at Jesus, he's like, oh my goodness. He's been like sweating drops of blood. Jesus is, is feeling the weight of what he's about to do on the cross. He knows like, like they're here and, and, he, and he goes, temptation is here, Peter. Like, like you guys, Peter should have been waiting for this moment from Jesus, right? Jesus had said, you're gonna do this. And so like, if Jesus had said, Steve, tonight, you're gonna deny me three times? Guess what? Guess who's not sleeping at all? I'm chugging Red Bulls. It's probably been 15 years since I've had a Red Bull. I'm chugging a Red Bull just to stay awake. I don't know what they had back then, whatever herbs, I'm drinking it to stay awake. Because he's called it out in me already. And so if there's one person that's staying awake, it's Peter. And yet in the gospels, the one person who's highlighted for falling asleep, who is it? Peter. Peter, man, come on. Do you see grace even in that? Listen, man, come on. Wake up. It's, it, it, it's here. He was asleep when he should have been praying. You guys, prayer aligns our responses to God's will for the moment when the moment happens. Entering the moment, whatever that moment may be, whenever it happens, entering that moment without prayer is giving the power and authority to the moment. And, and, and if I'm giving the power to the moment, that means that my response is gonna be like Peter's. See, if the moment is gonna dictate my response, then if I'm angry, that's how I'm gonna respond. If it's like, you're done, it's over, that's my response. If it's retaliation, whatever it may be, if the moment is defining my response, and it's not God's will, it's not from my relationship with God, it's not from my close proximity to God, because prayer is developing and cultivating your closeness to God so that your will and his will, they are aligned so that in that moment, it's not your response, it's not the moment dictating your response, it's God's will being played out through your life in that response. And so Peter's response uh, was dictated by how he felt in this moment because the moment defined it, God's word didn't anymore. See, there was a sword uh, that, that, that he's supposed to draw, that you and I are supposed to draw, but that sword's a little different, isn't it? It's called the sword of the spirit. It's the word of God. And so if our proximity to God, if we're sleeping and we're not praying, uh, if we're not developing that relationship with him, I'm telling you right now, you will find over and over and over again, you'll respond when that moment happens, just like Peter did. Why? Because the moment is dictating your response. It's not God. And just as a reminder, he didn't need Peter's protection. He could have summoned legions of angels at any moment. And if he had the power to knock all of them to the ground with his words and then literally reattach an ear and heal that, 
He could have saved himself from the arrest. See, if there's anything that's clear in this, it's that they didn't seize Jesus. He decided to go with them. Now, why did he do that? Well, to carry out the divine plan of redemption. He willingly submitted and he did it for us. See, Peter Peter was resisting God's will in this moment, but Jesus was accepting God's will. And he talks about this cup, right? We, we, see, uh, we see in verse 11, so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me. Now, now, what is he talking about here? This is something you see Jesus alluding to all throughout uh, his ministry. And in, in fact, um, Jesus had, had prayed in Matthew 26, 39, says, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this, what does he say? Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So what is this cup that he's talking about? What is this cup that earlier he challenged his disciples, are you willing to drink the cup that I'm gonna drink? What what is that? Well, this cup, it represented the suffering that he was going to endure and the separation from the father that he was gonna experience on the cross. See, he prayed this prayer three times, right? (laughs) Take this from me, but not my will, your will be done. As he's bearing this emotional weight of the world, how he is going to uh, literally be created into sin on our behalf, how he's gonna shoulder the wrath of God for you and for me. And he's wearing this. But Jesus was able to, to accept the cup because why? That drink was prepared for by the Father. And it was given to him by the Father. He didn't resist the Father's will because he came to do the Father's will. And since the Father had prepared the cup, Jesus knew he had nothing to fear. You know, early, earlier on when my kids were a little younger, they, and you're teaching them how to share, they would, they would drink. And when they drink, just nasty. The, what was going in, going out and everything. And just, but they're learning how to share. And so they would take a drink and just nasty. And then, and then they would say, here. <laughs> and you're like, well, what do I do? That's gross, but he's sharing. So what do you do? Some of you are like, I ain't touching it. Well, I'm glad you're here today. I drank. I drank. I did. (laughs) And I go, "Mm, thank you. Thank you. Right? You guys, it's tough. And I never want to belittle that. I, I hope you never come out of here going, man, it's so easy to walk with God. Whew, man, I need to keep going to Ecclesia because they talk about how easy it is. Oh, I wish that could be my message. It's just not, you guys. This is what's so tough. This cup was represented by what? His pain, his suffering, his death. Father turning his back. All of that is involved in him drinking this cup. 
and taking it and drinking it uh, and, 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 and trusting the Father in uh, that. Um, but what? He's able to trust in it because it's coming from the Father. And so what is, what is the thing here for you and for me? It's, it's this. Guys, you're gonna be handed some cups. And it's gonna be hard. And I don't know what they're all gonna look like. I don't. But by the authority of Scripture... Here, just as Jesus challenges his disciples, he challenges us, what, what are we gonna do with that cup? He says, this is what I did, I drank it. I drank that cup and it cost everything, but look at the glory that came out of it. And here's what's so tough about this verse when he talks about this cup and having to drink it and us trying to model and reflect Jesus. It's knowing that the cup that, that we're gonna be handed more than likely is gonna involve suffering, pain, even death. And like I said, I don't say that like, you know, pass the cup, but I tell you that because it's in those moments as, as hard as it is, as difficult as it is, and, 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 and you may not feel it in the moment, it may take years, and listen, that's okay. That's okay. But you just need to know that we don't have to fear the cup because that cup's been prepared by the Father. That cup has been prepared with a love that you and I can't comprehend and we won't until we're with him in eternity. And I get it, you know, some of that cup, um, we may not experience the redemption or the glory of that while we're here. But that's when we have to trust in the eternal glory that he's operating on. And, you know, we, we want it now, right? We want things fixed. We want our health fixed. We want our situations fixed. We want our kids fixed, our parents fixed, um, our living situation. We, we want that fixed. And, and when we pray, I, I know that none of you are like, God, I pray that you heal this relationship in heaven. Not now. Heaven's forever. This is just temporary, God. So do what you got to do, right? None of us are praying that. Praying God right now. Right now, please. But, but you know what? When we drink that cup and, 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 and we take that cup from the Father, you have to remind yourself, as hard as it is, that whatever the result is, it's not about now. It's not even about this life. It's about what he's ultimately going to do and he promises to do. And what we see happen as a result of Jesus drinking the cup. And so that's where we rest. That's what we lean into. But ultimately, my question is this, as we read, as we've read these verses, are you prepared? Are you prepared? Are you alert? Are you receiving his words even when you don't like them? Even if it comes from a source that you don't like. Are you living expectantly? Are you, are you living expectantly? And you can't say you are if you're not spending the time that you know you need 
in prayer. It's impossible. These moments in your life, they're defining your responses. It's not God if your prayer life is non-existent. And so I, I can't plead with you enough, enough to, to spend time in prayer with Jesus, to cultivate, cultivate that relationship, to grow that relationship, to not be content in that relationship. Because if Peter, who had Jesus physically there with him and who warned him and who woke him back up and everything else, if he can do that, you think we can't? You think we're above that? And so you guys, there's no arrival point in prayer. I know the easy response is, well, yeah, I should pray more. We would all say that. But are we actually taking tangible steps to build time for our relationship with God? And if we will, I'm telling you right now, when the moment comes, your response will align with his will. And it'll be incredible. And it may look different but I kind of think that's what we're called to do. Amen? Guys, let's pray.